what are we thinking, right? Just fired you up, had you worshiping, all excited, and then we dropped that song on you. What is going on? Well, it's January. And if you've been around Waypoint for a little while, you maybe suspect what's going on already because the last three Januaries, we've gone back to the book of Genesis. And this is four, and that's exactly where we're going. Uh, Genesis is full of foundational stories. God has this plan. He's going to establish a nation. He's going to do something different. He's going to do something with them that allows them to be a blessing to the whole world. And so he's establishing this thing, and he's got to reveal some stuff about him. He's got to reveal some stuff about us that's just foundational kind of stuff. And so we've looked, we've looked over the last three years at some big truths. Last year, we looked at Joseph. Seven weeks, we were in the story of Joseph, the longest series I've ever done. But to get there, we skipped a big story in Genesis. It's 11 chapters. It's the story of Jacob and what goes on with him. And the amount of stuff that's in that 11 chapters, the things that are difficult to understand, the, um, the foundational ideas, I probably could do a 12-week series in that little section of scripture right there. Now, we don't have that kind of time. We're just going to do a short little series on this where uh, for three weeks, we're going to look at one of the foundational ideas. It spans the whole, the whole story. So we're going to move ourselves back and forth through the whole story, looking at this one thing. And, and we're going to challenge at times, we're going to challenge you to maybe reconsider what you've thought this story has been telling you. Because we have read it so many times, it's fairly clear in our minds what's happening. And I want to suggest to you that maybe it shouldn't be. Uh, I want to start by going back to the song that Leah just sang. And when I ask, um, I want to ask this question. Have you ever felt that way? That you and your mind don't get along? That sometimes it feels like you're in a battle with the stuff that you think. You don't think it's necessarily right or good, but it's there, and you, you think that way, and it's not friendly to you. And you feel like there's a tension between you. I don't know what you thought of when you heard that song. Maybe you thought to yourself, that sounds like just a negative person. That's not what I thought of. When I heard that song, I thought that sounds like a person dealing with a lot of insecurity. They have a lot of personal doubt. They have, they have some stuff where they've looked at the inside of where they're at and they feel inadequate. Somewhere along the line, they feel like, I don't measure up. Now, where the standard came from that they feel they don't measure up to, that could come from anywhere. It could come from your family. Family could set a standard, and you just feel like, I don't hit it. You, it could come from culture. It could come from 
It could come from a comment that somebody just important in your life made to you. Oddly enough, it's also come from strangers at times who make a passing comment. And a thought gets stuck in there. And it starts to become an insecurity. And the problem is, it's not true, but that's not the worst problem. The worst problem about an insecurity is that somewhere along the line, long after the voice that placed it there is gone, long after the culture has moved on after having said this is the way to be, and now the culture's changed and it's a new in thing, long after that parent's voice is quiet in your mind, you have accepted that as true and you've embraced it. That's the worst part of this thing. Because long after the thing that would have been pushing that in your life is faded, you still are. You're holding tight to that thing, and you believe at some part you're not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough of a student. I'm not enough of a parent. I'm not enough of name any role that you could think of. It doesn't even have to be a role. For some people, this I'm not enough is I'm not attractive enough. I'm not smart enough. And somewhere along the line, it is not just words for you anymore. It's embraced. It's embraced. So that when you step up and you look in the mirror, you feel like that's who I am. When you look in your heart, that inadequacy is right there on the surface and it messes with you. This, this is the kind of stuff that's devastating. I'm bringing it up. Because I think this has been going on for thousands of years. Some of us would like to believe that we have avoided this. But I'm not sure that we can because I've become convinced that this is part of the human experience. Our natures make us open to considering these things in our lives where we're not enough and you either deal with them well or, or real problems kick up. Depression, anxiety, maybe the worst thing is that insecurity starts to shape the way you live your life. The decisions that you make, the relationships that you enter, how you act in those relationships, all shaped by this thing that's not true, that you now advance in your life because you own it and you carry it. I think we're about to see that in the life of Jacob. Now, before I get into this, I just want to give credit where credit is due. Um, we're going to talk a lot about the context of what we're reading in Genesis. And um, I go and get a lot of help uh, from rabbis who have some of the same things. Like, we believe some of the same things. We don't believe some of the same things. I'm aware of that. 
I'm careful there. What we do believe is that God inspired the scriptures. What we do believe is that those scriptures matter and actually could impact the way you live your life right now. And that if you're really concerned about that, you'll be open to what God has to say there. I'm, we're in alignment on all of that stuff. And some of their insights, because they're from the Jewish culture, is priceless. And so uh, Rabbi Foreman, I want to uh, shout out to him. But it wasn't just him. I listened to a lot. I listened to hours and hours and hours of this section of scripture to finally get to a place where I feel like I can share this stuff with you. I haven't heard anybody talk about what I'm about to talk to you about. Um, they help lay out the context. And then when I saw the context and engaged with God, I felt like it was, it was right there to pick out and go, oh, we have to talk about this. Because this, it, this is our lives. This thing that happens with insecurity. And so I want to take you to a story that many of you are familiar with. In fact, if you're not familiar with it, you're ahead of the game. How many of you are familiar with the story where Jacob deceives his father and gets the blessing? Now, yeah, you can raise your hands, but let me ask you this. How many of you think that how this story goes is that Rebecca, his mom, co-conspires with him comes up with an elaborate plan that they use to deceive dad to get away the blessing from the brother. How many of you understand the story to be that? Can you raise your hand real quick? Yes. I'm going to suggest that that's not what happened. And I'm going to ask you to consider some things in the text that because we knew the ending, we knew how this was going to play out, we didn't stop and ask ourselves, why in the world is that there? That is odd. I think there are four or five discrepancies, things that are in the scriptures that you would stop and go, what's really going on? If you didn't know the end of the story, you would think this is weird. And, and once we kind of get that established, then we're going to have to ask ourselves, well, what's going on here then? If what I think has always been happening isn't happening, what could be happening? Does the text give us any kind of insight into why this might be? And I think it's there. I think there's stuff in the text that leads us in a different direction. And I'm hoping this whole thing will be helpful for you. We're about to find out, okay? Uh, we're going to pick up this story in Genesis chapter 27, so if you have an, an app and you want to buzz around with me, that's great. Uh, we're going to be in 27 for a little bit, and then we're going to go elsewhere, and you can just uh, move through your phone app pretty fast with that. That's great. Um, in, in chapter 27, 1 through 3, we find out that Isaac, dad, is about to give his blessing to one son. Now, uh, if you want an example of what this looks like, you could go to Genesis 49 and see where Jacob does this with 12 of his sons. And you know what he does? He gives out a blessing to 12 sons. So maybe we need to explain what's going on here. Because there's, there's blessings and there's the blessing. What we're talking about here is the blessing. 
There were two things in Jewish culture that the oldest son would almost always get. Not always, but they were aimed towards the oldest son. The oldest son would get a birthright, which means they would get a double inheritance of whatever the father would leave them. Land, animals, possessions, all of that kind of stuff. They would get, they would get two of those, two shares of that. So Esau and Jacob are brothers. That means there would have been three shares of the family inheritance, and one person would get two, two shares. The other person would get a third. What we find out earlier in the story is that Esau comes in one day hungry, and Jacob had cooked some food for him and says, I'll give you this food if you'll sell me your birthright. You understand what he's asking for. He's asking for a third of his dad's possessions for a bowl of soup. Uh, lentil soup, by the way, gross. What were they thinking? All right, it didn't, have, it didn't have any good in it. And Esau does it. And the scriptures say he didn't care about that. He didn't care about that part of his, he didn't care about his family, he didn't care about anything but himself. So he was willing, I'm hungry, I'll do it, no problem. So the birthright's gone. But there was a second thing, it's called the blessing. And the blessing was this thing that dad would give, generally the oldest, but not always. He would say, you're going to carry on the mission that God had given me. You're going to represent this family. You're going to lead this family. I want you to be the person who bears the burden of moving this through history, this thing that God's given us to do. Now, if you go and you look at Jacob's story, he does not give that to his oldest son either, and we know why. He gives it to Judah, and last year we talked about why Judah was given that honor. And in his blessing, he gave two parts, not to his oldest, he gave two parts to Joseph so that both of his sons had a part of, an, of the heir. So we know it's not always the oldest, but in this case, they were aiming, Isaac was, to give everything to Esau. In fact, he hadn't even prepared a different kind of blessing for Jacob which is different than what you see in Genesis 49. Every one of the sons got a blessing. The dad gave them words of hope, words of encouragement, said something kind and good to them so that he would carry that forward with his life. Isaac has prepared nothing for Jacob. It's cold. It's unkind I think it borders on a level of cruelty. He had that much kind of disrespect for his son. It's not even on the radar to say anything of value to him at all before he passes. So that's what we learn in verses one through three. And then in verse four, Isaac says this to Esau, who he's called in. He's preparing him to go and get the, the blessing, the blessing says, prepare me the kind of tasty food I like. Bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you everything through this blessing. 
Verse 5, now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And when he leaves to go out and hunt and to find the food that his dad likes, she runs off and grabs Jacob and says, we have to act now. Your dad is giving out blessings. And we have to find a way to get you in there. Here, this is what's interesting. If you'll, um, I don't have this one on the screen, but if you go and look in verse 10, this is one of the first things that I noticed that's a little different. She didn't say, we need to get you in there to get the blessing. We need you to get in there to have your father give you whatever blessing he will give you. His blessing, whatever blessing he has, he give, now we know that Isaac hasn't prepared one. He doesn't have a blessing. But here's what we do know from the text. Because, because we know the story, Jacob is going to steal Esau's blessing. Esau is going to stand before his father and say, okay, he stole the blessing. That's fine. Bless me anyway. And dad says, I haven't prepared a second blessing. I have nothing to give you. And Esau pleads, I want a blessing. Give me a blessing. Come up with some blessing. And dad does. It's terrible. It's a horrible blessing. But Esau feels relieved that his dad at least said some kind words to him. And I suspect this is exactly what Rebecca has in mind. I want you to go in there and I want you to press your dad into a corner and I want you to get his blessing. I don't know, it's probably not going to be very good, but I want you to get the blessing that he has for you from him before he dies. I want you to do this. Now the reason I think uh, this is going on, instead of uh, this master class in deception is because there's a whole bunch of things that don't add up when it comes to the deceiving stuff. For instance, let me show you this. This is another clue that something just is not right. In verse 12, Jacob says about this plan. She's going to make him food. He's going to take it in. That's her plan. That's the whole plan at this point. And um, he says, what if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. No, you wouldn't appear to be tricking him. You would be caught tricking him, right? You would be busted if you're trying to steal Esau's blessing. He would figure out that it's not you. But he says it, it could appear that we're tricking. So which is it? See, is it possible, if you're careful reading of this text here, that Jacob and Rebekah, what they were planning wasn't actually an attempt to trick Isaac. That what he was concerned about was that he might be perceived to be that way. And so he comes up with this idea, and then and then he suggests that if he does this, he'll end up with a curse if he's found. And look at her response in verse 13. This is another clue that something just isn't right. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. 
and go and get them for me. Go get the goats. I'm going to cook a meal. Just do what I say. She's not worried about getting caught. She's not worried about a curse that would fall on her. She's not worried about any consequences whatsoever at all. Could it be that she's not worried about that because she doesn't think what they're doing is dishonest? Now, a lot of weird stuff happens. Because over and over and over again, he brings up things that he just feels like, you know what? This isn't going to work. She covers his arms with goat skin. She goes and cooks a meal for him. He can cook. He cooked a meal for Esau, but he can't cook like dad likes. Puts Esau's cloak on him. Like, all of these things are happening, and yet, she still doesn't feel a sense like that this is out of bounds. And then this, this gets said, because that's not what happens. Jacob goes in, misrepresents himself to his father, steals the blessing, the blessing from his brother Esau. And when he comes out, Rebekah confronts him, says, oh my, you're going to end up dead. Your brother is going to be furious I don't want that to happen, so I'm going to send you to my brother Laban. And this is verse 44. Stay with him for a while while your brother's fury subsides. And then she says this. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word and you can come back. Now listen. Have you ever planned something with somebody else and then it went wrong And they looked in you and said, what did you do? What's the first thing you say? What did we do? What are you talking about? We were in this. Like this was our plan. You pushed me to do this. You should have foreseen that my brother would be angry. There's not a single pushback here. She lays the responsibility for all of this at his feet. What you did, maybe your brother will forget what you've done. Now either, either she is cold-hearted, has no love for her son, and is just out to save herself, or the co-conspirator theory doesn't work. And there was never a plan by mom to deceive dad. And somewhere along the line, when Jacob got in front of father, he executed something all on his own. Is there anything in the text that would lead us to believe that something like that could have happened? I think there is but we're going to have to go back a little ways. We're going to have to pick something up um, that's in the text that's very, um, I don't know, it's kind of cool and it's kind of disturbing. So, uh, Rebecca's pregnant. Uh, she doesn't know she has twins. Something weird's going on in her belly and she inquires of God and God prophesies, actually gives her some information says, you have two nations. We can put that up on the screen. It's verse 23 in uh, chapter 24. 
It says you have two nations in your womb. Uh, it goes on to give some characteristics. One's going to be stronger, but the younger is going to end up being the leader. Like she ha- so she has this vision about what's going to happen. And then the text records what happens after that. And what it says has a big impact on this whole story. Verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. No surprise, she was told that in the vision. Verse 25, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Like, uh, he's a little dude. Like, he comes out, he's got hair everywhere. Um, looks like a little carpet, right? They're like, wow, what do we got here? That is one manly baby, is what they conclude. In fact, um, they name him Esau, which is hairy, but the root word, the, root they, the word that they use to go and name him is doer, producer, worker. This guy's a man's man. He's going to get stuff done. He's going he's to produce stuff. That, that's the way they thought about him. And by the way, who named him? You see it right there in the text? It says, they named him Esau. Rebecca and Isaac were in unison on this. We got a little dude on our hands. Let, let's, he's a doer. Like, he's going to get some stuff done. Like, we got this little man baby, right? And they, so they were excited about that. Ah, verse 26. After this, his brother came out with his hands grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Names were incredibly important in the ancient world. Um, you would actually live into your name most often. It had, it had deep meaning when, when you were given something like that. Jacob's name means heel grabber or supplanter or usurper. It's an insulting name. It's not kind. Why? Because though they were twins, they were not the same. And when he came out, he did not look like his brother. He looked different. And he's, he's had his brother by the heel. And who names him? The rabbis are careful to point out that this changes. You see who names him? It says he was named. Not they. They did not name him. Who has the right to name kids in this culture? The man, the patriarch. And dad just gave him an insulting name. Wouldn't it make sense that Rebecca wouldn't join in with that? She's been given a prophecy from God. She has an understanding that this second baby that just came out is going to be special in the eyes of God. And dad looks at him and doesn't see a man baby, but sees a weak baby and labels him with a terrible name. Don't worry, the text goes on to reinforce this. 
27, the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. He's a man's man. Like he's out there in the country. He's getting stuff done. He's hunter. He's a, he's a dude. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. What did you just read there? Mama's boy. Right? He's a mama's boy. He's not going, he's not going out into the field. He's not, he's not doing any of that kind of stuff. And then the topper is in verse 28. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. The scripture's pretty clear that there's favorites. Let me ask you this. Do you think the boys knew that they had favorites in their family? Do you think Jacob knew that his dad looked down upon him, didn't think much of him? I, I, I think he absolutely knew it. I mean, he was given a horrible name. He was given very little respect. And by the time you see this develop to this point where he has a chance to get a blessing, he's not even considered. Like, he's, I'm not even going to give you a side blessing is how much disrespect I have for you. Now, let me ask you, do you think in that environment that it would be easy for you to develop an insecurity, a thought that maybe I'm not enough? I'm not enough of a doer. My dad loves a doer. He loves somebody who can go in the open country and survive in the wilderness. He loves somebody who can hunt. He loves somebody who can do all of that stuff. I'm none of that. I have nothing to offer my father. So this moment when mom comes to him and says, I want you to go in and ask for a blessing from your father. Do you think it could be possible that he was thinking to himself, why in the world should I do this? My father doesn't like me. My father's not going to give me a blessing. He's not going to say something kind to me. I'm not doer enough. And what you see over and over and over in the text are references to how he's not enough of a doer. Okay, so, okay, the plan is, Mom, that we're going to make some goat stew. You know how to make it for Dad. I don't. I don't know how to do that. And you want me to take it to him and ask for a blessing. And what if he reaches out and he touches me and he realizes I'm not a doer? I'm still the tent guy. Like, what are we going to do then? She covers up his insecurity. In fact, over and over and over, mom covers up his insecurity. And in doing so, reinforces it. Yeah, 
you could cook, you could take him. Don't you think, Dad, if you were going to get a blessing out of Dad, you would have gone and stood before him and said, this is who I am. Here's my lentil stew. This is what I'm good at. I'm good at this stuff with running the business. I'm good at that kind of stuff. Just give me a blessing in that line and demand it and demand it and see what he would give for you. Don't you think that would have been manly? And dad could have respected a son who was demanding that kind of thing. But instead of that, he had this concern, this fear that he wasn't doer enough. And mom is covering it up, reinforcing his belief that he is just not enough. And as he walks in to talk with dad... Something changes in him. By the way, you should note that when he walks in to start this process with dad, dad immediately notices it's his voice. He's not disguising his voice. He didn't start that way. It's when he realized that his dad was confused about who was standing before him that Jacob decided to live into his name instead of above it. He decided to supplant he decided to usurp. He decided to steal the blessing from his brother. And when he walked out, mom was in shock. What did you do? Why would you do that to your brother? You know why he did it? Because if you're not careful in life, the insecurity that you embrace at the core of who you are will shape your steps, will direct your life. And we're about to find out it is going to cost Jacob over 20 years of his life. Because here's the truth. When you get stuck in a place where you've decided to be the author of your life. I'm going to understand life the way I see it, not the way God sees me. God saw Jacob as a leader. He gave a prophecy about it a long time ago. Jacob doesn't see that. He sees himself as not enough. I'm not doer enough. I've got to do something else in order to justify my position. If that means I have to steal the blessing from my brother, that's what I'll do. And he gets stuck there, which is exactly what happens to us. You'll get stuck in a loop where your insecurity will own you and will keep you trapped. And until you face it, until you face it down and let the truth of God spill into your life, that insecurity will own you. And Jacob is about to be owned for 20 plus years. And you're going to find out. I'm going to take you there next week. You're going to find out that it's the same problem happening over and over and over again. And until he decides that he wants a different story, that he wants to see things the way God sees things, he's hosed. And my friends... You, you and your mind 
can get into a war with each other where you tell yourself that you're not enough. Not enough of a mom. Not enough of a friend. Not enough of a kid. Not enough of a student. I don't know what the not enough is, but if you're open to the Holy Spirit pressing onto your heart right now, it's right there for you to access. He'll reveal it to you. And if you decide to make that story the story of your heart, it will do the same to you that it did to Jacob. It will direct the course of your life. It will cost you years And it was never true. Before he was born, God knew he had the character. He was going to be the leader that God needed to carry this mission forward. And instead, he chose a different path. So as we consider this story, I want you to have the courage over the next few weeks to look at your insecurity right in the face. Because you're not going to suddenly deal with it quickly but you will deal with it or it will own you. And I'm hoping as we have the courage to see what Jacob does, that you'll be able to take steps as you look at your insecurity and you put it in its proper place. Let me pray with you. God, so grateful um, that Jacob's life was put on display for us. Like This is embarrassing stuff to look at a place in our lives where we just feel like, I'm not enough. I'm not, like if people found out the real me, I'm not even sure they would like me. It's that kind of stuff that just creeps into our hearts. And yet, you have a different story that you want to write. You have something that you want to do with our lives. And if we're not careful the stuff that we embrace at the core of who we are can silence you. So God, I'm grateful for this this story of Jacob who seemed to allow this to happen, but it's not the end of the story. I ask that you would give us hope. Give us courage to face the insecurity that we have to not let it write our stories forever. We ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen.